Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is concluding our series entitled Matters of the Heart with a message from 1 Corinthians 13 entitled The Love of God. Now, before we get to our message, I just want to take this moment to invite you to come and to worship with us. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We'd love to have you. We'd love to connect. If you need more information about the church, you can find that at calvaryfayetteville.com. Call us at 479-442-4634 or send us an email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Pastor Kirk is finishing his series called Matters of the Heart. Let's listen together. Well, the month of February, we've been focusing on a theme, uh, Matters of the Heart. February is the month of love, so to speak, Valentine's Day, maybe even more important to some of you, Groundhog Day, you know, and other uh, activities that uh, mark this month every year. The month of love. And we've been talking about uh, the heart. You remember that the heart is, is not just that uh, muscle that pumps blood inside of you. That's the physical aspect of the heart. But the Bible mentions the heart almost a thousand times. And it's talking about that place that is the seat of our emotions and the spiritual place where we commune and have contact with God. So the heart is very important. And there's, we could spend a whole year on the subject of the heart. Um, did you know that, uh, that everybody has a heart either like the first king of Israel, King Saul, or King David, or King Solomon, the second and third kings? Did you know that? King Saul had no heart for God. None at all. He was motivated by his own passions. He was motivated by his own desires for glory. Early on, God was with him. The Bible says the Spirit rushed upon him. But because he had no heart for God, the Spirit departed from him. And then you have King David, and he is known as a man after God's own heart. He had a whole heart for God, even when he sinned sinned grievously. He continued to, even in his stumbling, to stumble forward in his walk with God. He loved God with all of his heart. And his son Solomon, a great king in Israel, Israel reached its zenith of power and influence under King Solomon. But did you know that Solomon had a half heart for God? The Bible says he had he loved God and he followed God, but not with all his heart. So do you have a heart for God? Do you only have maybe a half heart for God? Or do you have no heart for God today? Where do you fall in that picture? Well, I want to talk to you about the love of God and how can we even go through this topic for Uh, even a brief four weeks, without getting to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Perhaps one of the most poetic, maybe one of the most loved 
chapters in all of God's Word. It's known as the love chapter. Now, before we get into this chapter and, and kind of break it down and walk through it, I want to mention to you that uh, there's an old hymn, an old hymn written about 1917 called The Love of God. Do any of you know that? Do you remember it? It was written by Frederick Lehman. And, and let me just read a couple of the verses to you. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Now the chorus says this. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Now it has a couple of other verses. I'll not uh, go and read all those. It talks about redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. But the last verse is the one I want to draw your attention to because the last verse, these words were found scratched onto the wall of a cell in a mental institution when the occupant of that cell had died. They went in at, to retrieve the body and to bring this poor person out and found these words written. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless. How strong it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. How would you describe the love of God? I, I find that last verse written down by, by a mental patient over a hundred years ago certainly uh, would be hard to surpass. I want to suggest that the love of God is God's greatest gift he's ever given to you. You might say, oh, but what about the gift of salvation? I want to suggest without the love of God, you would not have a gift of salvation. Without the love of God, there would be no salvation, for there would be no Savior. Without the love of God, there would be no Word of God, for there would be no redemption story to tell. Without the love of God, there would be no comforter, no indwelling Holy Spirit, for there would be no relationship with God the Father. Would there be no love of God? There would be no church, for there would be no assembly of the firstborn, as Hebrews refers to it. We could go on and on and on. 
and give you more things that we would not have to enjoy if the love of God were not, um, were not a reality. The problem we have is that when we begin to try to comprehend and understand or explain the love of God, we have limits in doing so. Limits of understanding it, limits of life and experience, most of all, limits of language. You see, in our English language, we have one word, love, to describe a variety of things, a variety of relationships. We have one word, love, to describe romantic or sexual love. We have one word to describe a friendly affection we have for our dear friends. We have one word uh, to explain the deep concern and devotion for the well-being of others like our family and our dearest uh, friends. We have one word to describe simple enthusiasm for our favorite sports team or food. Who could not love what we saw yesterday? I just love to watch those guys beat up on people like Kentucky. All evil flows out of Kentucky anyway. You ought to know that. But see, we have one word to describe our love for something we're enthusiastic about. I love this kind of food or this kind of event. And we have one word for that, and it's the same word we use to describe the love we have for God, the love we have for our families, the love we have for our friends, the love we have for Northwest Arkansas, or the love we have for all. You see the limit of our language? Just one word. But keep this in mind. The New Testament and the Bible as a whole is not limited in language. For the language of the Bible is far more precise than our English language. For instance, in the New Testament, there are three words, three words, or in the Greek language, there are three words to describe love. There is eros that describes a romantic or sexual love. By the way, that's not used in the New Testament, but it is in the Greek language. There is the word philos to describe uh, a brotherly love, a friendship or companionship. The city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uses that word in Americanized form. And then there's the word agape that has to do with a deep concern and devotion to the well-being of another person and our commitment to them. Philos is used in the New Testament, even about God's love for us, about 50, 55 times. But agape is used 253 times, and all nine times in the book of 1 Corinthians 13, it is the word used for describing love. Now, what am I saying to you in all that? I'm saying to you that the primary word in the Bible to talk about God's love and how we are to love one another 
is a word uh, that describes not just an emotion, not just an affection, an affection, not just a fondness, but it is a word that describes how we can give ourselves away for one another. It's the way God gave himself away for us. This is what one person has said about agape love. It is as much a doing as it is a feeling word. It requires action. In other words, when you love God the way God loves you, it shows up in action, not just emotion or feeling. When we love one another, as we're told to do repeatedly in the Bible, and we do it the way God shows us and tells us, we give ourselves away for one another. We're devoted to one another. It's a doing word, not just a feeling word. It requires action. It requires us to demonstrate our love in some practical fashion. An agape person will do what is possible to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to welcome the stranger, to clothe the naked, and to visit the sick and the person in prison. It's the word that's required if we are to give ourselves away for people around the world by reaching into our wallets or our checkbooks and giving deeply of our resources to help them know Jesus Christ. Those are the kinds of actions we will pursue if we truly love others with agape love. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved, agape, the world, that he gave. He didn't just feel something for the world. He did something for the world. Well, that's the word we're reading about in 1 Corinthians 13. Walk through this chapter with me, and I share four thoughts with you. They will not be on the screen. You're going to have to work and do your part this Sunday to figure out what you need to keep in the way of notes. <laughs> Number one, love is essential. Love is essential. Verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What is he saying? The idea of the gong and the cymbal, these were instruments of praise and worship in Paul's day. And he said, even if I, I speak in such a way uh, that I am... Uh, that I'm showing my spirituality, that I'm, uh, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm sharing the gospel. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, if it's not motivated by love, then my spirituality is just paganism. It's just a, a clanging cymbal. It's just a, a noisy gong. All of my spirituality and expressions of worship, the songs that we've sung this morning, if they did not flow out of our lips, having originated in a heart with love for God and, and others, understand, we are nothing but just a noisy instrument. We're nothing but a cymbal solo. What kind of solo is that? Who wants to hear that? 
Who wants to hear a solo of music when you can't play a melody? All you can do is just bang on a drum, beat on a cymbal, or hit a loud gong. That's what paganism does. So worship without love is paganism. Spirituality without love is worthless. Now look at verse 2, what he says. And if I have prophetic powers, that means I can speak the truth of God even beyond what is known from God's Word. And I understand all mysteries, and I have all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so that I can say to mountains, be removed and be cast into the sea. But if I do all of that without love, I am nothing. Great acts of service. Great acts of spiritual power and anointing. Great miraculous deeds. Or even everyday deeds and service to God. Without love, guess what? My service is just pretense. It's hypocrisy. I am nothing. All of this is hypocritical pretense if it is not motivated and guided and empowered by love for God and love for others. And then verse 3, look what he says. In verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I am a martyr for the faith, if I'm willing to give up my life for a cause, but if I do not do that from love, I gain nothing. I'll have no reward in heaven, even though I'm burned at the stake. Or if I wear myself out in all of my religious service and sacrifice, if it does not come from love, if it's not motivated by love, it only leads to poverty. I gain nothing. So do you see how essential love is according to the Word of God? Spirituality, service, sacrifice is only paganism, pretense, and poverty without the love of God motivating our hearts and leading our lives. So love is essential. Notice, secondly, love is effectual. It is effectual. That means it is effective. That means love makes a difference. Would you say that the love of Jesus for the world made a difference in the world? It's what you pin your hopes of heaven on. I'd say it made a difference. It makes a big difference. Love always is effectual. True, godly, agape love changes a person. Not only the one who gives that love and shows it, but the one who is the recipient of it as well. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been saved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God's love made a difference in us. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope or in confidence of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul is saying to the Romans in this great chapter 5, how much God's love has made a difference in the life of his people and how that difference is made in you and me causes us to live in such a way that love makes a difference for other people as well. Now, if you'll look at verse 4, 5, and 6, you'll find in this, um, uh, in this book or this chapter that we're reading how much love makes a difference. He tells us what true love is not and what true love is. Look at verse 4. He said, love is not envious. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Notice the nots. Love is not envious. Did you know that the New Testament in the book of Galatians lists jealousy and envy? Jealousy. Have you ever been jealous? Have you ever been envious of somebody? Maybe how they've been blessed or what they have that you, you don't have? I, I'm envious that Kaylee's got a brand new car. And all the cars I've got have 100 to 200,000 more miles on them. It's easy to be jealous of other people's blessings, is it not? I'm envious. I'm almost bitter about the fact that Pastor Dan gets to go to all the Razorback baseball games. I'd have said that even if he was here. Actually, I'm not, but isn't it easy to be envy of others' blessings or jealous of what other people have? Envy and jealousy can infect any and all of us very easy in a thousand different ways. But did you know that the book of Galatians lists envy and jealousy alongside these sins? Let me read them for you. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that, he says. And he went and put envy and jealousy in with those. You see, those sins are some of the big bad ones. You know, envy and jealousy, that can't be that bad. But God's Word says that it is. It's in the same category. It will, envy and jealousy will condemn you to hell as fast as any other sin you will ever commit. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. It does not vaunt itself. It is not arrogant. It is not anxious to impress. The idea of arrogance is to inflate with pride and vanity, to be puffed up. 
when filled with ideas of self-importance. Love is not that way. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Love uh, is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rude means to behave yourself unseemly. Are you rude to people who cut in line in front of you? Do you want to send a signal their way? Does it make you mad? That's rudeness. It's not self-seeking. It does not insist on having its own way. Love is not irritable. It's not touchy. It doesn't provoke other people, and it's not easily provoked. It is not resentful. It does not keep a record of wrongs done. It does not hold a grudge. Are there people in your life that you still have feelings of anger or bitterness towards? Maybe going back a long, long ways. That's not love. That is sin. Verse 6 tells us, Love is not pleased when evil wins. It does not enjoy seeing others fail or fall. Instead, look at the positive characteristics. The positive uh, the positive effects of love in our hearts. Love is patient. Love is kind. It looks for a way to be constructive. It's gentle. Love is joyful when truth wins out. Love is long-suffering. It bears all things. That means to, to hold on, to hold out against. It doesn't broadcast the problems of others. It protects. It is long-suffering. It is faithful. It believes all things. It looks for the best in other people. It is hopeful. Love has a confidence about the future. Love is enduring. It suffers patiently. It perseveres. It stays even when others have departed. That's the character of love. Listen to how the Phillips translation says verse 7 through verse 8a. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. Is your marriage marked by love? Is there no fading of its hope? Will love cause you to outlast anything in your marriage and in your relationship with your family and with others? It may be that there are families represented here that, uh, that have been divided by the sinful actions of yourself or others in the past. It may be that a family here is fragmented. It may be that there is a brother, a sister, a cousin, a child, a grandchild, a parent, a grandparent, a spouse that you are estranged from. 
even if living under the same roof that you are distant from, that you're out of sync with, maybe it's been so long you've lost all hope of that ever being made right. Love hangs on. It is hopeful. Can you be hopeful like that? Maybe only with God's help you can. But I'm saying if you're willing or even if you're just willing to be willing, God can give that to you. God can bless you with that. Number three, love is eternal. It is not only it is not only effectual, making a difference. It is not only essential to our lives. It is eternal. Love, verse 8 through 12. Love never ends. Now listen to this. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, there's a lot of mystery about these verses. We've argued and debated, Christians have over the years, pastors have over the years, scholars have, over what he's referring to when he talks about when the perfect comes. But just understand this, that, that everything we do in life, every experience we have in life, is a temporary thing. This life, James tells us, is nothing more than a vapor. It's not even smoke. For smoke can go up into the atmosphere and it can be up there a long time. Do you remember when Mount St. Helens blew oh so many years ago in Washington State? We lived in the shadow. I know that Tony and I did, that, that Sherry and, and that Amy and our families lived in the shadow of Mount St. Helens. But we were gone back in the south when Mount St. Helens blew. That day when the Acomal Valley became, during church time, went from daylight to dark because of all the smoke in the atmosphere, all of the ash. Did you know that that drifted all the way over the United States, up in the upper atmosphere? That kind of thing can last forever. But James didn't say, what is your life? It's like smoke. No, you don't even last that long. Our life is like a vapor. It's like the tea kettle on the stove and the vapor or the steam that comes out the spout and causes it to whistle. Now you see it. Now you don't. That's your life. That's my life. It may seem like a long time. 70, 75, 80 or more years may seem to you and me to be a long life, but understand it is not a drop in the bucket with eternity. It's not the snap of your fingers in God's time. 
Life is like a vapor. Everything we do, all that we have, all that we gain, all that we possess, all that we earn, all that we inherit, all of this life is temporary. It is like steam off of the tea kettle. It is a vapor and a vapor only. But there is something that's never going to end. There's an attitude and a character that will never end. The love of God for us will never end. And when we show that agape love back to God and to others, that love will last an eternity. It is the only thing in life that is eternal. Love never ends. It never wears out. You don't fall into it, not godly kind of love. And if you don't fall into it like a hole in the ground, you're certainly not going to fall out of it. It is eternal. It is permanent. God is love. And God's love for us and when we live God's love for others is as permanent and as enduring as God is himself. Number four, and you have the message, love is excellent. It is excellent. It is essential. It is effective. It is eternal. And it is excellent. Verse 13. So now... Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest, the word there means the splendid and the magnificent and the excellent of those three is love. Faith, hope, and love. Did you know that's what God wants to build into Calvary Church? That is His goal for all true churches that we live expressions of faith, love, and hope. But understand, there'll come a time we won't need faith anymore. Why? Because we'll be in the presence of God, and all of our faith will become sight. So we won't have to have faith in heaven. Uh, there is hope, which means not wishful thinking, but, but confidence. But there'll come a time you won't need hope, because we'll be in heaven. And all of our faith has become sight, and we will, have, we will have become the recipients of all that God promised. So faith and hope are going to pass away eventually. Which is the excellent of the three? Which one surpasses all the others? Which is the one described as splendid and magnificent and excellent? It is love. For even in heaven... Love will go on and on and on and on. You think you love your loved one here? You think you love your grandkids here? I didn't say kids. Some of us are still mad at our kids, right? It's a joke. It's a joke. You think you love one another here? When you get to heaven, you're going to love like you never even imagined love could be. You feel the love of others. You sense the love of God. Nothing like what you're going to sense when you make it to heaven. Love will never cease. Why? Because it is the greatest of all the attributes that God teaches in His Word. Can I read to you 
1 Corinthians 13 in closing. But do it from the message, which is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. I think it'll give you a different look even than uh, what you have of this chapter. Eugene Peterson says this in paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all its mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith, a faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. It trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as it clearly is. Clearly, even as God sees us. Knowing Him directly, just as he knows us. May that day come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into the love chapter of God's Word. Father, thank you that this chapter is just a description of your Son, Jesus Christ. May it be a description of us as we grow more like him.
every single day. May Calvary Church be known as a place and as people of love. And may love persevere and give us the victory where nothing else can. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for being here. Let me challenge you to do something with this chapter, if you would. Read it for yourself when you get home today or sometime this week. And every time you find the word love, insert the name Jesus and read it because that's who it is describing. God is love. And then after you do that, try putting your name in there and see if it reflects truly who you are as a child of the Lord. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.